From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg and grab a stool. Come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. The question is, will the program stay up on YouTube? I have no idea. Frankly, at this point, I'm not sure I really care. I will tell you this. This may be one of the most important programs I've done in my 20 years on the radio. Because I don't need to tell you, these are troubling times. We are in a lockdown, another one. Of course, the virus is real and people are dying. And it doesn't matter that the vast majority of victims are people in their 80s and 90s. Every death diminishes us. It doesn't seem, though, as if anything is being done to protect the elderly in long-term care facilities. Even if our seniors survive COVID, many of them are asking, what's the point? They can't see their family. They're isolated. They're alone. They're depressed. Let's face it, the lockdown has been devastating. And I would argue, as I have a number of times, I would argue it is far more devastating. The lockdown, that is, far more devastating than the virus itself. Destroyed businesses, destroyed lives, suicides, alcohol and drug abuse, depression, school-aged children emotionally, psychologically damaged. I mentioned the seniors. Meanwhile... Our politicians, they still have jobs. They're not taking a pay cut. Amazon, Walmart, well, they're making hay. While small independent business people are losing everything. Writer, historian Don Jeffries, the author of Survival of the Richest and Bullyocracy is standing by to discuss the collateral damage of the lockdown. That's hour one. Hour two, unlike the uh, vast majority overwhelming majority of my colleagues in the mainstream media. I've actually watched hours of testimony from witnesses to all of this alleged, and I do use the word alleged, election fraud. I watched the video of poll observers in Georgia being asked to uh, leave a precinct while they suspended tallying up the vote because of a supposed water main leak, which of course we now know was a leaky toilet. We watched then in this video poll workers haul out cases of ballots from beneath tables. This event, of course, coincides exactly with data showing a huge spike. You've seen the graph, a huge spike or dump of votes for Biden in Atlanta. There's so much more. Will it be proven in court? Will it convince state legislators to decertify the vote in their state? Will it overturn the results of the election? I don't know. Is there evidence? Hell yes. And so to call the allegations of election fraud unsubstantiated and to suppress such information is beyond belief, quite frankly. This is not a conspiracy theory, although this is the conspiracy show. There is evidence. Yes, it's alleged, but I, quite personally, I've seen enough. Retired U.S. Army officer and former intel analyst for the Defense Intelligence Agency, Jeffrey Prather, joins me an hour or two to discuss. Now, first to this disastrous lockdown and its effect on the economy and all of our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, you name it, well-being. 
Don Jeffries is a critically acclaimed writer and author of several works of nonfiction, including Hidden History, Survival of the Richest, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, and Bullyocracy. It's always a great pleasure to welcome him back to the program. Don, how are you? Fine, thanks, Richard. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So this kind of dovetails quite nicely with a book that came out a couple years ago, Survival of the Richest. So let's look at the economic impact of the lockdown. I think we know who's taking a financial hit. That's most everyday citizens around the world in particular. Who's making money hand over fist during this lockdown? Well, pretty much the usual suspects that <laughs> that always make the money. I, I, we don't even know how many trillions uh, have gone to the upper tiers of the 1% because we don't know all the details of the stimulus package yet. Now, we, we do know that uh, things like uh, the hospital and the uh, medical industrial complex was paid off for losing business. And we know that they're getting a, a $13,000 bonus for every COVID diagnosis they get through the stimulus package, and they're getting $32,000 for every patient they put on ventilators, which often you know, turns out to be a death sentence. I, I've heard some doctors say that, hey, you know, 100% of the people we put on the ventilators die, but they do have a vested financial interest in, in doing so. So that's one aspect of the, uh, of the stimulus package. We know people like Dr. Phil got like $6 million or something. Why? I don't know. But I mean, it'd be best left for the people that make these things up. I doubt if many of the, very many of the politicians even knew what was in there. But I think, you know, maybe later we'll find out more about it. But I, I saw something today that did jibe with a lot of what I wrote about in Survival of the Riches. But it just, this has just exacerbated that situation. Uh, there was a story that broke today in the media that said 82% of Americans said uh, they don't have – they couldn't come up with $500 in an emergency at this point in time. Now, that's very close to what the statistics were before. You know, there's something like, uh, I don't know, 70 or whatever percent of Americans didn't have $1,000 in savings. But it's obviously grown worse, and that's what you're seeing. The things that I talked about in Survival of the Richest, with the bottom half of America basically having nothing, having less than 1% of the collective wealth, making less than $50,000, uh, less than $27,000 a year, uh, just you know, which is not enough to live on your own in most places in this country. That's just exacerbated because we still don't really know what the economic fallout is yet from this because uh, businesses are still collapsing every day. And we just seen in the last week the, the Staten Island business that uh, they finally, in, in some places, they're, they're, they're getting a spirit of, uh, you know, the Boston Tea Party type spirit where they're standing up now. Well, this they're was saying, the restaurant owner. Uh, it was a bar. And yes, uh, it, it was uh, something like. I'm not sure how many police officers. We had a similar story here yes. in Toronto in Etobicoke with a rib joint yep. and uh, 70 police officers, uh, some of the mounted police, just an overwhelming show of force. Yep. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I've heard that many of them were paid duty. They weren't even on duty. So a similar thing happened in Staten Island. His attorney went there. Everyone was being very polite. They even wrote a ticket for the attorney just because yes. he was standing up for his client. And you're right. It is. People are. I don't know where the tipping point is. Yeah. You know, obviously, we hope it's not 1776, but we need that kind of spirit, not the violence, but we need that spirit. Right. Well, at some point, I think people are going to and you're seeing already in Staten Island, you, you've seen it there in New York and uh, not too many other places. Unfortunately, had the lockdown protests last summer, but they didn't really last very long. But when this first began, I remember saying in interviews that I thought, this maybe was going to be a good thing because I thought the people that run things and have misruled us for so long 
had finally overplayed their hand. I said, you know, this is, they've gone too far. You know, when you start doing things like canceling sports, March Madness, the baseball, basketball, uh, you know, hockey playoffs, I mean, they lost an incredible amount of money. But even more, with the sports-obsessed part of America, which is, you know, a huge percentage, to take that away from them, that's like, you know, taking drugs away from a heroin addict. You're going to go through tremendous withdrawals. And then uh, at the same time, they closed down all the movies. They closed the malls. They stopped uh, concerts, things like that. All the cultural activities start. So uh, you have, you know, the people, women, and, and they go shopping, and anybody. So I thought, you know, this is, you know, really going to impact people who aren't uh, people like in our world, that aren't so-called conspiracy theorists, who don't look at everything suspiciously. These are normal people that just like to shop or watch sports or attend sporting events or attend concerts or attend Broadway plays or just go out to eat at fine restaurants. All these things were just taken away at the same time. And then, of course, you know, wearing the mask and all that was kind of icing on the cake. But I just, it's very disillusioning to realize how how easily they were able to do this because there really was no backlash. And, you know, that I mean, in Hollywood itself, you know, with the, all the woke celebrities out there, they are cheering this on. And there, you know, how many actors out there in Hollywood are, uh, you know, well, they can't even wait tables now because the restaurants are closed too. But uh, that, you know, or don't make, most actors don't make that much money. And they're all thrown out of work now for the most part. And they're cheering it on. I, I don't understand it. So I think at some point, and what you're seeing is you're seeing like the salon owner in Dallas, and now you have the pub owner in New York, and they've had a, they've had a few other small business owners, and of course they're starting to question finally what I was saying. Some of us were saying at the very beginning, and that is why aren't people questioning why the big ticket places, the chains like Walmart and Target and Home Depot and so forth, they had no infringements on them at all. They didn't have any restrictions. Can you explain or do you understand the logic? And apparently there is a logic that you can go and buy flowers at Walmart, but you can't go to the mom and pop florist on the corner in those areas that are shut down. And you can't fill a church, not fill a church, but you can't put, uh, let's say, 30% of the capacity of a large church you can't allow those people in. But again, you can have people in Walmart shopping for non-essentials. I don't understand the logic. Well, I don't, I don't even think they've had to justify it because other than people like us, and now you have an increasing number of small business owners that are finally asking it, why is Walmart open? They're do- and I'm trying to sell the same product. And I think it's pretty obvious. It's a survival of the richest type mentality. This is on the surface, many people believe this is the greatest transfer of wealth in our history. I think Ron Paul called it that right after the initial stimulus bill came out. This is an incredible wealth transfer from the middle class to the 1%. But we're seeing this, the same kind of thing with the businesses because obviously there's no logic, there's no justification. If this the virus is that dangerous that people can't shop, then what sense does it make for a Walmart which can fit a lot more shoppers in? than the local five and 10 cent store. If, if anything, they should probably close the bigger stores first because they, just because there'd be more traffic in there. But they haven't even had to justify it. And again, people are not asking the right questions, but it, it's, it certainly falls into the so-called, you know, the theory, if you want to call it a conspiracy theory, that this is just part of an effort to further squeeze out those smaller businesses and make uh, America into just one big conglomerate, which is they, they've largely done anyhow. I mean, in every sector of our society, from the, you know, the four to six giant companies that rule all media 
to uh, things like, you know, consolidation of everything into Walmart. All the, Look at all the drug stores and then dollar stores and so forth that Walmart put out of business all across the country. Well, now they put out, thanks to this uh, lockdown and the fact that they've been allowed to stay open, they and Target and Home Depot, things like that, although whatever local hardware stores are left, I mean, how can they stay in business? But Home Depot can it's simply not fair, and people ought to be questioning it, but they're not, or very few are. And it's just the, the logic there, but it's the same logic, Richard, is, uh, you know, where's the logic in saying that a Trump rally is a super spreader, but a Black Lives Matter protest is fine, or a Biden celebration is fine, but a lockdown protest is a super spreader, and it's politicized. There's not even any attempted consistency. And, you know, people pointed out, it's just like they, they don't even, you know, I saw Dr. Fauci was kind of questioned about it once and he just kind of stumbled. And <laughs> there is no explanation, obviously. Right. I think it's important to point out that two things can be true at the same time. The virus can be real, and it is, I believe, but also it can be used for other purposes. It can be used as cover. It can be used as an opportunity, as Mr. Schwab uh, at the World Economic Forum said, it's an opportunity, a narrow window to transform the planet. And our prime minister here, the boy king, trust fund Trudeau, also echoed that and talking about, of course, the Great Reset. And on the one hand, they're telling us that the Great Reset is an opportunity during COVID to address some of these economic inequities. It seems like instead of doing that, they're using it as an opportunity to exacerbate I mean, if I didn't know better, it's almost as if they are deliberately bringing the roof down, collapsing the economy on purpose. Right. Well, that's what a lot of people believe. And of course, people, I'm not questioning people have died. Obviously, people have died. People have gotten sick. But the, the point I think we have to look at, let's examine the so-called science out there. I've tried to analyze and find these statistics. It's very hard to find. But from what I can understand... There doesn't seem to be any statistic out there that shows me what I think we should be seeing at this point. And that is that however many deaths they are attributing to COVID, like in the United States, 270-some thousand, whatever it is now, supposedly, we should be able to look at the deaths from 2018, 2019, and 2020. And there ought to be 200-and-some thousand more deaths total. Right. Excess deaths. Excess deaths. And the statistics don't seem to show that because they're saying at the same time now – the flu is down by 98%. Now, you know, a skeptic, they keep saying, well, you're saying it's not real. No, well, I'm saying that, I'm sorry, I don't believe in many coincidences, and I don't certainly don't believe that the flu has just happened to virtually disappear at the same time as this virus is out there. And of course, the cynical among us will say, you know, it, it, what we've been saying all along is, is that, that Dr. Uh, Roger Hodgkinson, I believe it was, yes, it, yes. It, he called it what it is. This is just a really nasty flu. And we've had... You know, I, th- I don't know how many years ago, we, I think we lost 80,000 people or something in America, the flu. Uh, it, it happens. You know, the flu strain, sometimes it's worse from year to year. And, of course, it's always going to be worse on the elderly. It's always going to be worse on people that have, you know, underlying conditions. And that's what we're seeing with whatever's killing these people, the ones that are dying predominantly are elderly, have other underlying causes. So I think, again, as, as, as Dr. Hawkinson said, that the reaction to this has been absolutely ridiculous. And it's created so much fear in the public, and it's outrageous. It's, it's so irresponsible. Look at, look at what Donald Trump was raked over the coals for trying to basically not panic the public. 
I wrote an article about that a while back where I showed that virtually almost word for word, Barack Obama issued the same kind of statement to, to hey, we don't need to panic during the, uh, the uh, Ebola, which is a much far serious, more serious disease, by the way. And he was praised, of course, for it. So what kind of society we have where we're actually so addicted to the fear porn that they've been throwing on us that we actually criticize a leader. I mean, aren't we the ones who worship, you know, FDRs? We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Why would anybody want to panic the public? But this is what this thing is running on. It's running on panic. It's running on fear. And we're giving up our rights because uh, I think they finally found that, you know, if they want to push climate change or something like that, not enough people are buying it. But something like this, if you're scared for your health, if you're scared for your loved one's health, you're, please save me. I've maintained for, well, since March or April that this is, in part, yes, the virus is real. People are dying. Not denying that, but it is being used as yet another beta test. And they each time they run one of these things or they, we, we go through one of these crises, they up the ante. And this time they're getting pretty close to, you know, that toe almost crossing the line about mandatory vaccines. They're, yes. they're, they're kind of hinting at it and then backing away and then hinting at it and then backing away. Well, next time they'll push it a little bit further and further and then guaranteed at some point they will convince enough people through fear or whatever that there must be a mandatory vaccine. Now they're kind of floating the idea, well, it won't be mandatory, but we may have to limit your movement in some yeah. way. Maybe maybe you won't be able to fly without a vaccine passport. Yeah. And I, yeah. I know there are people out there who think that's fine. That's the way it should yeah. be. Well, sure. your fear doesn't trump my personal liberty. It doesn't. Right. My freedom does not end where your fear begins. Right. Uh, Don Jeffries is with us, the author of Survival of the Richest, uh, Bullyocracy, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics. And uh, you can read his uh, blogs at donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Uh, we're coming up on a break here in just a few moments, and we'll continue this discussion through the hour. Just a reminder, coming up in hour two, a former DIA intelligence analyst, Jeffrey Prather will be here to talk about the U.S. election. Give me a quick look into that crystal ball. And it's like surveying the damage after a hurricane has gone through and we're still in the midst of it. But what is the damage going to look like when we finally, if we come out of this? I mean, I'm talking economically. Yeah, well, I think you, you touched on it a little bit before. You said you can't help but think they're doing this on purpose to collapse things because I don't think the economy can ever go. And we're talking about things going back to normal. And people like me were writing critically about the normal before. The old normal was pretty bad, but the new normal looks absolutely terrifying. We had crony capitalism before. We had wealth disparity. We had all the unfairness, the rigged system and everything. But at least there was more of a structure there. We have no idea still how many businesses, how many small businesses are gone, and it's not easy to start a small business. These people are not going to be able to do that again, especially we found out on the stimulus package this week, it was publicized, another survival of the richest moment, where I think it was 5% of the companies that took the funds in the stimulus package that were supposed to be meant for small businesses, and including took over, uh, over half of the funds. And those companies included things like Walmart and Home Depot, all the big, who were not small businesses. They took the bulk of the funds, over half that were meant for small businesses. So these small businesses weren't bailed out, obviously, and they would have to be to even stay afloat. And then what's the tax bill going to be? What's the bill? Of course, you had the riots that happened this summer, too. We can't even imagine the devastation of the businesses that were burned down. I mean, insurance companies will cover some. How but long did it take 
parts of Los Angeles to come back after the Rodney King riots a decade. Right. Right, right. And so, and that's, and so, you have that, and I, I don't know what the, but I would imagine the, the devastation, the damage is much worse because it's lasted so much longer, and our leaders are just sitting by ineffectually. They're not doing anything, and they're you talking about fiddling uh, while the Titanic goes down, or fiddling while Rome burns, whatever you want to, analogy you want to use, but clearly. Somebody should be doing something because I don't see how we can bounce back without something like that we don't want, like a universal basic income or something. That may have to be trotted out. I think that's what they want. Yes, and, yes. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Don Jeffrey stays with us. My name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. I read this last week on the program and I got such a terrific response. People wanting copies of it by email that I thought I'd read it again and I will make copies available. I think I know the author and it was circulating in a number of the uh, the churches here in Toronto, the Greek Orthodox churches. And it's a quote from St. Theodore of Studite. For it is a commandment of the Lord not to be silent at a time when the faith is in jeopardy. Speak, Scripture says, and hold not thy peace. Again, that's St. Theodore the Studite. And on November the 11th, Remembrance Day here in Canada, many Christians in Canada also commemorated St. Theodore the Studite, who left us with many pearls of wisdom, including the important quote I just read. The letter goes on. And how is our faith not currently in jeopardy? We are human beings created in the image of God. And while our humanity at first compelled us to obey the lockdowns, to protect each other, today our humanity is being intentionally attacked and diminished by dark forces. We are being told to cover our faces, to restrict our breathing, to stay away from each other, to socially impair our children, to let our sick die alone, to delay our medical checkups, to shutter our businesses and endanger our livelihoods, and to turn our entire lives upside down. Even worse, we are being told by our lawmakers that our houses of worship, our spiritual hospitals, are not essential to our lives, a direct attack on our humanity. And lastly, most devastating to our humanity, the lockdowns around the world are triggering mass poverty and unimaginable loneliness, pain, hunger, and untimely death. All of this is antithetical to our Christian faith. Since the very beginning, this so-called pandemic has strained credulity. Now, many months later, the real untainted data has confirmed both the exaggerated nature and the mismanaged handling of this crisis. A novel coronavirus, but from a familiar family of viruses for which we have some innate immunity, A mortality rate very similar to seasonal flu, as confirmed by many epidemiologists. A widely adopted testing threshold, poorly suited for live virus detection, but perfectly suited for case inflation. A widely adopted liberal approach to recording mortality, but perfectly suited for death inflation. A much-hyped, incredulous, and oft-repeated mantra that life will only return to normal after the vaccine a vaccine that will forever alter the DNA of human beings, while supposedly protecting us against a virus with a 99% survival rate. A host of promising medicines and treatment protocols for the infected that have been suppressed and unduly rejected and kept from us by the medical establishment. Unfortunately, 
our Christian love for neighbor has been used against us, and our compliance with all of the measures to date and our collective silence has unintentionally and mistakenly signaled our willingness to accept this new normal. We should not accept it. Globalist oligarchs posing as philanthropists cannot hide their giddiness as our world is pushed towards the brink of chaos and towards mass mandatory vaccination and transhumanism. Our leader in Ottawa seems gleeful and dutifully participates in our own country's social and financial destruction with the same push towards globalist agendas that do not benefit Canadians. And local leaders accept billions of dollars in assistance while doling out funds in the hope that this assuages our loss of humanity and the attack on our faith. We should not accept this. Our humanity is our strength. Our faith is our calling. And the time has come to hold not our peace. Again, that was a letter written by a gentleman, and it was uh, circulating in many of the Greek Orthodox churches here in the greater Toronto area. All right, we go back to my uh, conversation with uh, Don Jeffries, Survival of the Richest, now in its second edition, and the uh, website is donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Donald, we were talking about universal income. I believe that that is one of the motives for destroying the economy. They want people to be dependent on the government. And I think they're definitely looking at rolling out a universal income. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and what's going to happen is that basically people, even though most of us, have, obviously that's antithetical to uh, the American ideal, but at some point, people who are desperate are going to welcome that because uh, you already had very limited opportunities in America, despite the propaganda. The unemployment rate was down, but it was the artificial unemployment rate, the same unemployment rate that Donald Trump very correctly pointed out was phony during his campaign. It's artificially low because they only count the people that are presently filing for unemployment benefits. So it's really not accurate at all. But he started bragging about the same rates. I think he forgot how inaccurate it was at that point. When you have a situation like this where untold millions of people have been thrown out of work thanks to these lockdowns, we don't know how many thousands of businesses closed, never going to reopen again. Obviously, you have limited opportunities. And one thing it's, it's, that's very uh, noticeable, Richard, over here, somebody, and I'm one of the few people noticing this, is that while everything else has been closed, our southern borders remain wide open. They didn't close that. You know, they closed everything else down, but that southern border is still there. People are still filing across the border. And certainly if Joe Biden does get into office, he's already promised to issue amnesty to however – I mean he says 11 million. I, most of us think it could be as high as 50 million illegal aid. We don't even have any idea how many are here. But once you do that and you open the floodgates, obviously there are going to be that many fewer jobs that are available already fewer because businesses closed down with more prospective employees there. And of course they have every – Incentive now to pay them less because we know what the effect of immigration is. It lowers wages and benefits for uh, everyone, especially blue-collar workers. That used to be a Democratic talking point. Yes. Even Bernie Sanders talked about that. And many early union leaders during the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, right? well, even into the 70s, probably the 80s, all talked about how illegal immigration, illegal immigration we're talking here, mm-hmm. drives down wages for the working poor. Right. But again, now, because of political correctness, they view this as a prospective voting bloc. So they will not criticize. And that, that's one reason I think that my book, Survival of the Richest, independent people on the left like Naomi Wolf loved it and a few others. But I can't get the interest that people should have 
on the left in the book because I think I do mention immigration quite a bit. And they're certainly not willing to go there. But Tucker Carlson has asked the same question on his show that I've asked many times. And that is, you know, it's one thing to just demonize with the Republicans, demonize socialism, this socialism, that. But you have to give an alternative. And if the system you're presenting, this crony capitalism is not free enterprise and it's not fair, it is rigged. So young people that are out there, what are they going to take? Are they going to take a universal basic income that will give them enough to get by? Because they haven't known any other world. They don't know anything else. They don't know that they could start a business at one time in a freer America. But that's not going to be possible because look, look at what happened to small business during this life. It was already tough enough. I think it was something like 90% of small businesses fold within a couple of years. Anyhow, this was before the lockdown. So you have to have a lot of gumption and you have to be a real risk taker. And most people, again, don't have that much wealth to put into a business Especially if you know what the odds are, the odds are against you being able to succeed it and making a go of it. So it's going to be even less likely that people are going to take a chance on that. So the universal basic income, especially to young people, young people that have either uh, gone to college and have student loan debt and have not gotten their money's worth, to say the least, that are being offered jobs now that used to go to high school graduates and all they've done is just require jobs, made almost every job that pays, you know, $30,000 a year requires a college degree now. That's their idea of giving them their money's worth, and it's, it's not because in many cases, their student loan debt is higher than that. Well, they're going to wash away the debt, though, I, I think, Don. They're going to forgive us our credit card debt and our mortgages and our student loans and our car loans, and all they're going to ask in return is everything else. That we <laughs> In fact, here in Canada... Christia Freeland, she's the deputy prime minister. Yes, and, yes, and she, she's an she author, is, right? She wrote a book too, didn't she? Write yes, books? Yes, 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 and I she's floating this idea just uh, off the top of her head now, mind you. She's blue skying it. She's looking for ideas how we can get Canadians to free up their savings. And, you know, <laughs> that's how we're going to stimulate the economy. Now, how many steps is it going to be from... Let's find out how we can get Canadians to free up their savings, to cough up their savings, to seize their savings. And that's my worst nightmare, that that is where this is heading. They will forgive us all our debts, but they will take all our property. You're right. Our governments don't. And this is why you saw during the the stimulus checks, I knew when that was happening, I knew who was going to be helped out, who was going to be bailed out. We were lucky we got that. Most of us got the one-time $1,200 check. And they just came out this week. And again, somehow there were Democrats and Republicans couldn't agree on it. So whatever stimulus package they come up with next, shockingly enough, is not going to provide any uh, check. And again, as if a $1,200 check is going to mean that much to anybody anyhow, but you're still not getting it, especially something like that, wiping out your debt. You're going to expect something. You're talking about a Faustian bargain there. They're going to ask you to sign oh, your yes. soul up for that. Well, yes, yes, absolutely. That's, again, my worst fear, this socialist dystopia modeled after China. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don Jeffrey stays with us. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. The um, Hold Not Thy Peace letter that I read earlier, if anyone is interested in a copy, you can contact me through the website strangeplanet.ca and I will forward you a PDF 
and then you can print it and distribute it as you see fit. And I would encourage you to do so. It's a very powerful and moving letter. And again, contact me through the website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a contact page there, and I will gladly send you a copy. I just want to go quickly to a tweet here. Jim M. would like to get your take on this, Don, because we were talking about this demand destruction of the economy. Here in Canada, we have a deficit. Typically, our deficits are in and around, you know, 30 billion when things are tough. Our deficit is a trillion dollars this year. I mean, we have quadrupled the debt that's been accumulated in 153 years in one year. And it seems to me like they are just hell-bent on, again, destroying the economy. But is Justin Trudeau intentionally sinking Canada financially so that China or the IMF would have to step in to keep the country viable? What do you think of that idea? Well, certainly China has been tied to uh, a lot of this. I mean, first of all, being that the, this virus, whatever it is, you know, came from there originally. But so a lot of people think, and you mentioned their society, and I wrote about that in Survival of the Richest as well. I, I believe corporate America, much as corporations all over the world, because they're all multinational corporations, they're all globalist. They don't have any, uh, you know, kind of nationalist loyalties to whatever country they're in. They all admire the Chinese model. Because the Chinese really keep their people under lock and thumb, and they have succeeded in lowering expectations for the average Chinese person to where they want us to sacrifice, and they want this new normal they talk about. And the Great Reset is kind of a, another way of saying the new normal. They want us to get used to, you know, hey, no more. you don't need a single-family single homes. That's gone. You know, apartments, you don't really need a big apartment. Let's, let's have these little cubicles like they're popular in China. That's what they want. They want you to go to your little hole in the wall. They want you to be happy with it. Maybe they'll give you a censored internet, 200 channels on cable, or you know, it's all the same stuff. There's really no, no real diversity there. That's what they want, I think. And, and you, you'll go to work. You'll get paid just enough, just barely enough to get by to go back to your little hole in the wall. That's what they want. They don't want people to be outside that. They, and, and that's why they hate small businesses so much because you know to start your own business and succeed – that's how you circumvent the system. That's how you don't have to go to work and, 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 and deal with a, you know, a supervisor that you hate like the vast majority of Americans. I mean, that's what they do. They go to a job. They hate their bosses. They hate the toil and grind. They hate being under the, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the thumb. Lives you know, of quiet desperation, as T.S. Eliot wrote. Exactly. And that's what most Americans lead and, and most people all over the world. But what made America great was that middle class, and the middle class was driven quite a bit by you know being able to start your own business, but it was also driven at that point by fairer bosses and uh, certainly viable unions and much less disparity of wealth. So you had the right. heads. There was a social contract back then, and it was yes. understood that you paid a living wage so that one person could work in a home, and the other person could stay home and take care of the children until such an age where they could, you know, sort of fend for themselves. I know that may seem like, oh, that's a barefoot in the kitchen. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, so then the man stays home. Doesn't matter. The point is a social contract meant that your employees could afford to buy the products that you're producing. I mean, Henry Ford understood that. Exactly. That's and he he was raked over the coals by his fellow capitalists. He said, "Look, I I got to pay him enough to buy that. If if I if they can't afford what I'm building, what am I building it for? You know." So I wanted, but but uh, one thing you mentioned about when uh, you know one person used to be able to work, and certainly that's the way it used to be. But 
uh, I, and I, I remember saying this to Naomi Wolf, and she had never thought of Ford. I don't think people think of it this, but you know, when the, the feminist movement succeeded in getting women out of the homes and the drudgery of housework and out of the kitchen, all the things we've heard of, you know, we, they can be more than housewives. Okay, that's fine. But what should have happened? There should have been, there should have been a huge positive impact. If you were a married couple and you, just the husband was working before, once the wife started working, Shouldn't that have effectively, you know, uh, almost doubled or significantly increased the income of the household? Didn't work that way. No, it did not. It did and, not. And that doesn't seem to make any sense to me because what happened is it started lowering wages across the board. They just started paying everyone less because what sense does it make that two people, a husband and wife working now, are farther behind than a husband was just working 50 years ago? Right. That makes well, no and- sense. One income is going to daycare. Right, right. One income is going to daycare, but it's just even with that, you uh, you should have you should have had more discretionary income, and it just it doesn't work. Instead, we have you know an explosion of debt. I mean, back in uh, you know I know when I was a little kid, I don't know, I don't think my parents had a credit card. No, and I don't. No, and it's 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 just it wasn't. If you could afford it, you bought it. But, you know, I wanted a drum set for like 10 years. I was never going to get one, you know, but. You know, uh, what we need, there's no question, we need a great reset, but not the one that's being proffered right. by the folks at the World Economic Forum. We'll take one final time out, come back and finish up with Don Jeffries, donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. He's a fantastic, critically acclaimed writer. Check out his blogs, donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Survival of the richest, America's, uh, sorry, crimes and cover-ups in American politics and uh, hidden history, uh, bullyocracy, and uh, there's a new one uh, in the works. Um, Is it too early to talk about that one, Don? Uh, no, it's going to be out sometime next year on Borrowed Fame, and that's uh, about showbiz. So, I mean, I, I, I write about a lot of things, but it's always from the same slant. I'm looking at injustice, and that, that book examines corruption and injustice in the, the show business world. There's plenty of it there. Uh, all right. Well, I can't wait for that one. And um, we're kind of sort of covering some of the territory from Survival of the Richest as we discuss the, the disastrous effects of the, uh, the lockdown. Uh, yeah. And um, is there, a, in your mind, I know you're not an economist, but you cover this stuff pretty closely. Is there a point of no return? In, in other words, if we don't open things up wide open in the next X number of months, it's, that's it. There's no going back, do you think? I would think we've probably already passed that point. To tell you the truth, I mean, I, I don't, you know, one thing, Richard, I, I, I said all along is that when and the reason I was skeptical about this pandemic and call it a pandemic all along is because, you know, if this had been a real plague where this was a crisis and, and, and the fear that's being transmitted by the authorities uh, was, was a real thing, so that they were frightened as well. First of all, we wouldn't see them going around without their mask and not obeying the rules, which you see over and over again. They're not taking it seriously. To begin with. So, you know, I think they're laughing at us. But the other thing that I notice is that, you know, when you're closing down businesses and all that, I would expect to see uh, a change, a sea change in the way uh, creditors act. When, 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 so for, I know, for instance, I'm not getting any breaks from, from my mortgage company or my credit cards or any. They're, they're not saying, hey, you know what, we're waiving late fees or no, nothing. 
they're not cutting anybody a break. At least they're not cutting me a break. And uh, I, I would expect if that kind of emergency situation really existed, they would say, you know what, you know, we're all. What's the slogan they keep using? We're all in this together. Mm. Well. <laughs> Apparently, the people that we owe money to are not into it all because they're not doing anything like, hey, you know what? We're gonna, if we can't give you a debt jubilee, we're going to at least slash this absurd interest rate you have on your credit card. Nothing like that. We're going to waive, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, uh, cut the, the mortgage in half this month, or so, but nothing like that. At the very least, you know, waive late fees or be more liberal about it. No, I, I don't see any example of that. So instantly, I was dubious because of that. Because uh, you didn't see it. And as I said, you don't see how many times do you have to discover that the, the, find these people that they're the most uh, you know, sanctimonious about this, the Chris Cuomo's of the world, uh, the Nancy Pelosi's. How many times do they have to be caught with their pants down? Yeah, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and not only Gavin Newsom, I mean, at least the others. I mean, Nancy Pelosi tried to defend some absurd theory that this Harris alone owner was getting her. Chris Cuomo doesn't even answer it. But Gavin Newsom lied where he said, you know, we were outside. Even, even after the video appeared that, that they were inside the restaurant, he still didn't address that. And of course, there's not a single reporter that's going to hold his feet to the fire because we don't. That's, that's another thing. that The mayor of, the mayor of Austin uh, was yes. telling people yeah. in a video to stay home and do nothing. Meanwhile, he didn't tell people he had actually flown to Mexico uh, where he was celebrating, I guess. I don't know if it was Thanksgiving or not, but yes. he was celebrating with friends in Mexico while he's telling everyone else, stay put, don't do anything. Yeah, well, r- rules are for peasants. They're like everything else. And like I've always said that the reason why companies I have so much uh, employees kind of roll their eyes at you know rules and and things like that is because favoritism exists and it always has, and it certainly does today for a variety of reasons. You can't have a society built on mutual respect for each other if the laws and the rules and the standards of conduct don't apply equally to everyone. And clearly, they don't. They don't apply, you know, to anyone who's wealthy. They don't apply to certain races because of political correctness, and and you can see they don't apply to political leaders. I ask this to a lot of people that are old enough, or maybe just old enough, to remember the 1968 Hong Kong flu pandemic, which killed over 100,000 Americans. 1968. That's 52 years ago. And even people that are old enough to remember, like my mother, she's 96, but she or 95 rather, she has a, a memory like a steel trap. And she goes, yeah, I seem to remember something about it. Everyone went up, up about their lives as normal. There were no lockdowns. There was nothing. Right. What's yeah. the difference? Yeah, there was, a, there was, a, I mean, I, and I was a little kid, but I, I remember, I just remember my mom, you know, uh, uh, you know, just being, we were at a Chinese restaurant and just laughing and joking with it. You got the Hong Kong flu, you know, cause it was an Asian and, you know, stupid, but in those politically incorrect times you could do that. And, uh, they were all that, but that was it. That's my only memory of it. I didn't know anybody that there was never any sense like that. There was, there was danger, you know, that we were going to catch the Hong Kong flu. I just remember hearing it cause it was the first time I guess I had heard a, a flu called something else, you know, rather than just the flu. But uh, yeah, I, I think that, again, we didn't, the idea that this is some kind of a plague, again, is just not borne out by the numbers. The CDC itself came out uh, a month or two ago and said of the 200 and some thousand deaths, however many they're attributing to COVID, 94% were actually uh, people who had other serious ailments. And that's almost certainly caused their death. So that leaves you with, you know, like a 10,000 deaths that, that maybe are to whatever this is, uh, which is like a very mild flu season. 
So I think, you know, people uh, need to try to, but I, you know, I, I get in so many arguments of this and people have embraced it and it's so politicized because it's all the people that embrace it are people who hate Trump. And I, I don't know why Trump is associated with the virus, but he is. And um, so that if you, if you question it, like I do, you instantly get called a Trumpster and all that. And it's like, well, this has nothing to do with Trump. I'm just telling you that the numbers don't make sense. They're, they're, their own numbers, they're telling you from the very beginning they've been including presumed or presumptive cases in their totals, which means they weren't tested. We know the CDC directive to the hospitals back in earlier this year that said you list the cause of death as being from COVID even when tests are not avail- inconclusive or not available. And that's really misleading. And we know that under the stimulus package that hospitals are getting a bonuses, significant bonuses for COVID diagnoses and uh, for uh, putting uh, patients on ventilators, which is apparently deadly. So it's not only, uh, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, they may be causing deaths by this, you know, the desire to get money. And we know that I know having worked for the medical industrial complex all my life before I was unfairly fired a few years ago in a right to work state, uh, I've seen the sausage being made, and it's like, that's one reason I'm extremely dubious of this, because I don't trust authorities anyhow. And, well, but- one, of, one of the things that they're telling us is if we don't do this, our hospitals will be overrun, and now they're saying that with these inflated cases, and of course cases don't translate into infections, mm-hmm. and there are a number of reasons why you know a, a, a case you could be positive on a case and not be sick or not have the virus at all, false positives and – and uh, uh, asymptomatic cases and so forth. Uh, but a number of doctors uh, in Ontario have raised the point that I think is important that our hospitals, at least here in Ontario, where we've, we haven't increased the number of beds in, in, the, in the province for something like 20, 20 years, our hospitals are always running at about 95% capacity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and this and this time of year, we always have people in the halls, uh, you know, hallway medicine, I think they call it, or, uh, you know, people that are, they, there's no rooms, so they put them out in the hall. This is nothing unusual. No, it's very misleading. And that, that's, but again, it's to say, because most people, they may not know that uh, if they don't work in that system, that, uh, that 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 hospitals usually are at max capacity. So when they say, that, and then you have these lurid stories that that always you trace them back, you can't find them. They're just mythological. They've been going back to the early part of this year when there's so many bodies, we've had to pile them up in refrigerated trucks. We've had to make makeshift graves with prisoners digging. I mean, it's all these ridiculous tales that that they're talking about fake news, and they're still saying it. I still hear, oh, they're they're. And it's if you talk to people that are uh, that work in those hospitals, and I've communicated with them all throughout the year, off and on, and they will tell you the nurses will tell you, you know, this is, we, we're we're less busy than usual, and that's the way most hospitals are. Uh, they're under right. a lot of you know pressure because uh, any case that gets listed as COVID obviously is kind of under the microscope, and and they're sure. you know, but uh, it's it's very but have, just understanding the medical industrial complex as I do. They would be the least people that I would trust. And they're the ones that are driving this, you know, this, this pandemic or whatever you call it. They're the ones driving the narrative. And I know, you know, having worked in that, in that field, how dishonest it is and, and, the, the, and the things they sweep under the rug. And we know that this, the, the WHO and the CDC were caught lying in 2009 about the swine flu. And that's, uh, 
That's how, uh, you know, Cheryl Atkinson, one of the few good reporters in the mainstream news, that's how she got she got fired by CBS News for reporting on that because they don't allow investigative journalism in this country. So they have a history of doing this. So why would we think they're not doing it now when they've made this a worldwide story way bigger than that? And it's, I think we just need to be very skeptical and we should all be really tired of masks and social distancing. And we should be asking ourselves at this point, it's supposed to be a new flu season. We're supposed to have a new coronavirus strain. So we should have COVID-20 should already be right now, here and now. Where is COVID-20 that we're still getting COVID-19? It makes no sense. The science <laughs> makes – but people don't question it. It's like, you know, where is the science here? But, exactly. You know, but, Don, yeah. Don uh, always a pleasure. I wish we had more time. Uh, we'll talk again down the road. In the meantime, I encourage people to go out and get a copy of Survival of the Richest – and bullyocracy, uh, uh, hidden history, and crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to uh, 1776 to what is it to 1963? 1963. Right. There exactly. we go. All right, Donald. Uh, thanks again. And uh, the blog is Donald um, Donald Jeffries Donald Jeffries WordPress dot com. And Twitter is at Don Jeffries if you want to find me there. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Thank you. Jeffrey Prather is next talking about the U.S. election. Was it rigged? Wait till you hear what he has to say. Former Defense Intelligence Agency intelligence analyst. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show.